Peace be upon you. So I wanted to start with a uh, kind of a, a parable. So imagine we were hiking and um, we're going up and we each had to carry our own bags. And I said, you know what? Your bag looks like it needs a little more weight. Why don't I add some rocks to it? And it's not like I had to carry these rocks, but just to be, you know, a jerk, I decided to add some rocks to your bag to make the situation that much more difficult. Um, and you think, you know, what's wrong with this person? Why would they do that to me? It's like, I'm already carrying this heavy weight. Why would they add additional rocks to my bag? And alternatively, if uh, we were hiking and I said, hey, you know what? Looks like you got a lot of weight. Let me take off some of that load. Let me help you out there. You think, like, oh, what a nice guy. Uh, you know, he's helping me out. He's removing some of the, uh, the burden. Um, and it's a good thing. And it's interesting when we think about it in the physical, it makes sense. You know, we wouldn't want to just add excess weight to someone. Um, but when you think about it in the, uh, the theoretical, you know, this happens all the time. You think about, uh, say you're, you're at work or you're in school and you have a project to finish. And there's the one person on the team who's just complaining about how bad everything is and how there isn't enough time and there's so much work to be done and they didn't get any sleep. And they just make the situation that much worse. Um, versus the person who's like, okay, we can do this. Let's, you know, build a plan. Let's, you know, kind of like uh, encourage one another uh, to get through this situation. Um, and you realize it doesn't require any additional effort. It's just a mindset. You know, what words do we choose to use um, to either encourage or discourage uh, ourselves and the people around us? In chapter 9, verse 1 and 3, it says, Take from their money a charity to purify them and sanctify them and encourage them. For your encouragement reassures them. God is here omniscient. And those words that come out of our mouth, they're either going to bring people up or they're going to uh, pull people down. And if you bring people up, it's as if you're lightening their load. You're making the, uh, the experience that much more enjoyable, uh, that much more rewarding. And when you discourage, you're doing the opposite. You're making the, the task that much more difficult, that much more frustrating. And um, it's up to us. As believers, we're supposed to set the best example. And God gives us examples in the world, in the physical world, with his creations. And one of them is uh, two kinds of birds. So the first kind of bird is a seagull. Uh, I remember when we were in uh, college, we used to go to the beach and we would leave our uh, towels out with food, and then we'd just watch as the seagulls, they like kind of converge to take the food. Now, what's hilarious is when a seagull gets a piece of food, other seagulls will like literally just like crash into that bird, do everything they can to try to get it out of that bird's mouth uh, to take possession of it. It's a very like doggy dog mentality, and that's the way that seagulls operate. And then in the flip side, you have uh, animals like geese. You know, geese, they basically are very communal animals. And um, I see them outside of my house. They fly in this V formation. What's awesome about that is that they take turns who's the lead bird. And whoever's the lead bird is basically taking the majority of the draft and taking the most uh, air resistance and making the flight that much better for the other birds. And um, apparently when they honk at one another, and if you haven't heard a, a geese honk, it's pretty awesome. It's just this giant kind of like a creature that you're just like blown away is uh, able to fly. But uh, they're motivating one another. You know, they're giving people, in, uh, each bird, uh, encouragement. And um, we see this in uh, 847. It says, Do not be like those who left their homes grudgingly, only to show off, and in fact discourage others from following the path of God. God is fully aware of everything they do. You know, the seagulls are kind of like these, the hypocrites, the disbelievers, the ones who are just discouraging. Uh, they make the situation that much more tougher. Um, and then the, uh, the geese are like the believers. In 3146, it says, Many a prophet had godly people fight along with him without ever uh, wavering under pressure in the cause of God, nor did they hesitate or become discouraged. God loves the steadfast. 
you know, being around people who bring us up, being around people who motivate us, uh, to encourage us to maintain righteousness, to grow and develop our souls, uh, to compete in righteousness, you know, these are the people we want to surround around. And these are the people that we strive to be. And if you think about the, the root words of encourage and discourage, uh, to uh, encourage literally means to instill courage to instill courage into someone, to give them the motivation, the drive to make them believe that they can achieve, uh, you know, whatever hardship or struggles in front of them. And discourage literally means to take away, to distill courage, to uh, instill fear as an alternative. Um, and the words, again, that are being used, it's either going to bring them up or bring them down. And God gives us numerous examples, and we see consistently in the Quran that the believers encourage and the disbelievers discourage. Um, in 2.249, we have the example of David and Solomon. It says, when uh, Saul took command of his troops, he said, God is putting you to the test by means of a stream. Anyone who drinks from it does not belong with me. Only those who do not taste it belong with me, unless it is just a single sip. They drank from it, except a few of them. When he crossed it with those who believed, they said, Now we lack the strength to face Goliath and his troops. Those who were conscious of meeting God said, Many a small army defeated a large army by God's leave. God is with those who steadfastly persevere. Like, look, you're going to face Goliath. You're going to face this battle. You're, you're heading there if you like it or not. Now, God commanded you not to drink before you, uh, you go to battle. What good does it do to you to complain, to say, now we lack the strength to face Goliath and his troops, to bring the morale of the team down? Like, look, this is the situation. You've got to just deal with it. And you look at the response of the believers. The believers in this, uh, this trial, they say, many a small army defeated a large army by God's leave. God is with those who steadfastly persevere. And you see, they trust in God, and the words that come out of their mouth, it's to bring people up. It's not to knock them down, not to make the situation that much more dire than it appears. And by God's leave, they're successful. In uh, 2250, says, when they faced Goliath and his troops, they prayed, Our Lord, grant us steadfastness, strengthen our foothold, and support us against the disbelieving people. And David slays Goliath, right? And the, the aspect is, look, it's the same amount of energy to encourage or to discourage. It's purely a decision on our part which one we want to carry out. Um, we see two more examples from the children of Israel. Um, the first one is when they were fleeing, Moses, uh, fleeing Pharaoh uh, with Moses. And um, uh, Boatwins in 2661, it says, When both parties saw each other, Moses' people said, We will be caught. And in 2662, uh, he said, so this Moses said, No way, my Lord is with me, he will guide me. Right? I mean, you think about it, you're in the situation, you're fleeing Pharaoh either way. Either suck it up and deal with it, or uh, you know, at least keep your mouth shut. Because what good does it do to basically, uh, you know, just become despondent and then bring the uh, the group down? And by God's leave, you know, they were successful. God saved them. Um, and it's one of these things like, why would you waste your breath uh, to do something that isn't going to do you any good? It's just to complain, to uh, to to look on the downside, and to um, lose faith. Um, and this is the moments that really kind of shows what we're made of. In uh, 52, 21 through 24, we read about the children of Israel uh, that God wanted them to enter uh, Jerusalem. And it says, O my people, enter the holy land that God has decreed for you, and do not rebel lest you become losers. They said, O Moses, there are powerful people, people in it, and we will not enter it unless they get out of it. If they get out, we are entering. Two men who were reverent and blessed by God said, Just enter the gate. If you just enter it, you will surely prevail. You must trust in God if you are believers. Now, here's a perfect example. You have the believers, and then you have the, you know, call them weak believers, hypocrites, disbelievers. You know, they're people who lack faith. Um, 
And the believers, they see the situation, they say, okay, we trust in God and we're only going to speak words of encouragement, words of faith, um, as opposed to just admitting defeat before anything has actually happened. And <laughs> it's like consistently you see the uh, the believers encourage, the believers are upbeat, the believers are uh, have, uh, you know, statements of faith, and the disbelievers, are they're constantly complaining, uh, looking on the downside, and uh, already admit defeat before the uh, the event even takes place. Um, another example is in the Battle of the Parties in chapter 33. Uh, you read, the it says, The hypocrites and those who uh, with doubts in the heart said, What God and his messenger promised us was no more than an illusion. A group of them said, O oh, people of Yathrib, you cannot attain victory. Go back. Others made up excuses to the prophet. Our homes are vulnerable. They were not vulnerable. They just wanted to flee. Right? They made excuses. They complained. They, they, it's as if they already de were defeated before the battle even took place. It's like, you know, let's say in uh, today's world, we're not fighting battles, but we each have hardships, struggles, adversities that are going to be in front of us. And the aspect is how, what mentality do we have in these? You know, do we immediately think that, oh, it's over, uh, admit defeat, <laughs> it's not going to happen, or are we going to speak words of encouragement, you know, words of faith? In um, the same chapter, you see the believers' responses. When the true believers saw the parties ready to attack, they said, This is what God and his messenger have promised us, and God and his messenger are truthful. This dangerous situation only strengthened their faith and augmented their submission. Right? You think of this. There is no turning back. The battle is going to happen. You know, you have to take this uh, test. You have to uh, face this, uh, this uh, adversity, this hardship. How are you going to go about doing it? Are you going to go about it? complaining, kicking, and screaming, and just, you know, wishing that you can go underneath a rock somewhere and hide? Or are you just going to uh, face it and then trust in God and speak words of encouragement? Uh, God says that, you know, at the time of battle, that the believers were asked to um, to commemorate God. Why is that? It's because it's at those times we have to have the most faith, you know, that we have to be the most calm. We have to have the most trust in God. Um, everything else, it's a buildup to that. Uh, they say that, you know, we revert back in times of distress, you revert back to your practice. You know, if you practice in your day-to-day -day, uh, life to be reverent, to trust in God, uh, then that's most likely how you're going to behave when actual hardship or adversity is faced. In uh, 940, it's an awesome example. Um, this is in regards to the prophet. It says, if you fail to support him, the messenger, God has already supported him. Thus, when the believers chased him, and he was one of two in the cave, he said to his friend, do not worry, God is with us. God then sent down contentment, security upon him, supported him with invisible soldiers. He made the word of the disbelievers lowly. God's word reigns supreme. God is almighty, most wise. Now, how awesome is this? You know, he's chased. He's one of two in the cave. Uh, he's clearly outnumbered, probably, you know, uh, doesn't have the, uh, the, the means as far as like <laughs> battle gear to really defend himself. But what is his response? Is, Do not worry, God is with us, right? You don't see uh, Muhammad like freaking out, uh, saying, you know, why did I get in this situation? This is terrible. It's over, right? No, it's it, this is the, this is what we strive to be like, right? We basically revert back to what we practice. If in our day to day we trust in God, we speak words of encouragement, then we're more likely to behave that way when actual hardship or adversity hits. And um, I want to talk about a, a perfect example uh, because you know these are more extreme. It's in regards to like battles and wars that took place in the past. But what about our day to day lives? Um, in thirty three thirty four, it says, "Remember what is being recited in your homes of God's revelations and the wisdom inherent therein." 
God is sublime cognizant. You know, you think about the words that are being spoken in our own homes, right? The home, your sanctuary, where you feel safe and secure and peaceful. Um, you know, are you speaking words of faith, of trust, of encouragement, or are you kind of like bringing your family, your friends, your uh, roommates down? And you have to ask yourself, you know, what kind of an environment are you setting? Because for all practical purposes, this is your domain. Your home is your domain. You can basically operate however you want. What kind of an atmosphere are you creating in your own home? And if that atmosphere is not one that you'd say is conducive to faith, to trust, to enjoyment, to, um, you know, uh, love of God, then it's completely on you uh, as far as why that uh, environment exists. And um, I'm thinking about a personal experience when we first had our first daughter. And um, I remember, you know, by God's leave, my wife, she was like so uh, amazing, like so stoic. And she just totally uh, handled the situation. We'd be woken up in the middle of the night and there's vomit and pee and poo and this and that. And she just totally, you know, it didn't phase her. If anything, she was like uh, singing, you know, like lullabies and songs and this and that. And here I was, I was freaking out. You know, and one day I remember I was just like, I was exhausted and tired. And this is not an excuse, but this is uh, what took place. And I started complaining to her. I'm like, oh my God, what do we get ourselves into? You know, how are we supposed to deal with this? What does our lives come to? And uh, she stopped me. She says, why are you ruining this for me? And it's totally true. You know, up until that point, I was complaining. You know, she didn't see any downside to this. Hey, this was part of, this is what she signed up for. This is what she wanted to be a mom for. And this is what I wanted to be a dad for. And um, as opposed to realizing that situation, I was ruining. Um, I was talking to a friend and they said uh, they had a similar circumstance. They were eating at this, uh, I want to say it was waffles or crepes or something. And, uh, you know, the wife loved it. She's like, oh, this is amazing. And the husband just couldn't stop complaining about how bad it was and, you know, it was too soggy and too this and too that. And she st same thing, she stopped them and said, you know, why are you ruining this for me? I'm enjoying my meal. You know, why would you basically want to tarnish this for me? And um, it's one of these things we have to ask ourselves, you know, the words that come out of our mouth. Is this going to encourage people? Is this going to make people feel good? Or is it going to bring people down? And um, the choice is up to us. You know, this isn't uh, it's the same amount of energy. It's not like it costs more to encourage or discourage. It's clearly what do we want to spend our time focusing and providing to this world. Now, what's awesome about this is we think that these are limited to these, uh, you know, uh, single instances. Like, okay, me, I'm talking with my wife. Like, what does this have to do with the grander scheme of things? And um, a couple weeks back, I was at a uh, uh, company retreat. We were doing like some team building and we were up in these uh, 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 zip lining and um, you see these giant redwood trees and literally, I mean, these things are massive, hundreds of feet up in the air and you could wrap your entire arm, you know, probably around like one sixth of this tree, meaning that it requires probably like six people to make a full circle arm to arm uh, to encircle this tree and it's amazing and you think this tree comes from this one seed you know tiny tiny seed that God created that put all the instructions everything that's needed to produce this tree now in a previous podcast um, Radhanath Swami I think made this uh, example he's saying look the way that the redwoods stand up um, it's that their roots actually aren't that deep you know relative to the size of the tree the roots don't go that deep. And um, if you ever are in the uh, uh, California, you see some of these are toppled over. And yeah, the roots, I mean, they're gigantic, but they're not that deep. Um, so how they maintain their their uh, their structure to be able to stand, and keep in mind, this is uh, California. You have uh, um, 
uh, it's earthquakes, you have slopes, you have soft soil. Uh, you know, these aren't exactly conducive to uh, high structures. But uh, the way that the redwoods suffice is that their, their roots interlock. And it's that community of holding one another uh, together that keeps the, uh, the redwoods uh, up high. And similarly, I mean, when we're in a community, we're in a group, you know, what words do we share with the people? You know, are we the person in the group who's bringing the team up or are we the person in the group who's bringing the team down? And um, we have to ask ourselves, you know, the words that come out of our mouth, how is this being um, being uh, uh, represented? In 638 says, all the creatures on earth and all the birds that fly with wings are communities like you. We do not leave anything out of this book to their Lord. All these creatures will be summoned. And I think I genuinely believe, just like the birds, the seagulls, the geese, the trees, you know, God puts these examples in the world so we can learn from. So you look at, okay, this giant redwood, this giant structure, the way it holds itself up is that these roots interlock. And um, they did, uh, anyone who listens to Radiolab, they did a uh, piece about how they, they did these studies where they put these radioactive isotopes so they could track how the, the system works as far as nutrients get into one tree, how many adjacent trees in the community are uh, impacted by this. And what they saw was the radioactive material that would go into one tree, that the, the tree was sharing that with up to 47 other trees in its proximity, meaning that if they had excess of some material, they would be sharing it with one another. And um, this is the way it is. It's like, you know, the we're, we each have in us this motivation, this resourcefulness, and we can choose to share that with one another or not. And um, if we choose to share, it's going to strengthen all of us, right? It's going to make the entire community, the environment you're in, your, and you think about it, it's not just religious. Uh, your household, your, uh, your uh, school, your class uh, friends, uh, your work colleagues, you know, that you are a fundamental element in that group, in that dynamic. And what you contribute to that group is ultimately going to affect it. Now, what's awesome about that is, they did uh, further studies and they were looking at how does the tree, uh, you know, in addition to the, the nutrients and everything like that, like how does it even get the nutrients it needs? And um, they found out that, okay, so this is actually interesting. The organism that's even larger than a redwood is a fungus. Um, there's one in uh, Oregon that's claimed to be the, uh, the largest living organism. It's 2.3 miles uh, long. And it's a giant fungus that lives underneath the ground. And what it does is it basically pulls the minerals out of the, uh, the, the earth, the soil, the nutrients. And uh, it delivers this to trees. And the trees give the, uh, the, the fungus sugar. And it's a symbiotic relationship. And you realize, like, you know, all these, everything is kind of interconnected. And as human beings, we're even more interconnected than we think. You know, you think that that communication you had with your work colleague, with that, uh, you know, person at the, uh, the the grocery store or just in passing, you know, the uh, the time when you gave someone a dirty look for God knows what reason, um, you think that those interactions don't have an outcome, uh, but they do. Uh, just like, say, for instance, the nutrients that go into one tree has this entire ecosystem uh, that's supported by it. You know, the words that come out of our mouth, the exchanges that we have with people have far larger uh, implications than we think. And here's a simple thought experiment. This came from uh, uh, the uh, podcast, uh, sorry, the uh, uh, commencement speech I uh, linked to a couple weeks back from uh, Admiral William uh, H. McRaven, uh, and it was in a 2014 uh, University of Austin uh, commencement speech, and it was about how to change the world. And he gave this parable. He said, look, not a parable, sorry, uh, this example. He says, look, the average person uh, is going to engage with 10,000 people over their life. 
you know, now that we're interconnected, that's numbers vastly more. But in general, you're going to meet 10,000 people in your life. You know, if you can have an impact on 10 of them, right, and you say each generation is going to impact 10 more and 10 more and 10 more, you know, within five generations, a group of, you know, uh, tens of people could have impact on tens of millions of people. And that's the system. You think about the, the people at the time of uh, Prophet Muhammad, they're, they're out, they're fighting these battles, they're doing these things that in all honesty, in the grand scheme of things, probably looked relatively trivial. Do you really think that they had the understanding that the conducts of what they do on that day, right, no matter how small, how trivial it seems, is going to have the effect of affecting billions and billions of people? Right? The outcomes of those events, what happened with the, uh, the early Muslim communities, uh, how the message spread, the example that they set forth uh, being early vanguards to religion, literally affected billions and billions of people. And, um, you know, we don't think about this. In 9120, it says, this is because they do not suffer any thirst or any effort or hunger in the cause of God or take a single step in the, that enrages the disbelievers or inflict any hardship upon the enemy without having it written down for them as a credit. In um, uh, 99.7 it says, whoever does an Adam's weight of good will see it and whoever does an Adam's weight of evil will see it. And we see that you know whatever we do, the, uh, the outcome effects of those, we're going to get the credit and then also the, um, the downside of it. So we have to think about these interactions. You know, if we affect the people that we work with, the people we uh, we're friends with, uh, the people in just passing conversations, you know, and if you extrapolate that out, if you made a 1% difference on their character, their behavior, you know, and you extrapolate that out, you know, you could be affecting potentially millions of people for generations to come. So it's one of these things that we have to be incredibly conscientious uh, and aware of the 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 example we're setting for this world to make sure that the engagements we have, what comes out of our mouth, that we're encouraging, we're not discouraging, that we're being upbeat, that we're being uh, words of faith, words of trust, and you know, God willing, the example that we set in this world is a good one. And that's actually one of the prayers of Abraham that he prayed to God. He said, God, please let my example be a good one. Do you think Abraham, this dude who's living in the middle of the desert, right? Uh, Passerbyers are like, you know, uh, infrequent, uh, could have such a huge impact on this world. You know, and all of us, right, we're more interconnected now than we've ever been. And uh, the impact that we can potentially have on the, uh, the environment for not just today, but generations to come is vast. And it's something that we shouldn't take lightly. So God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments, questions, hit us up at Talk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.